From what I've noticed, there's really two things that need to be in place for true generational wealth. The first is you have to have the assets, right? Accumulating assets, and we'll kind of talk about, you know, how you build that. Um, but then the second thing is you have to have the, the mindset and the training for not only yourself, but your kids and then their kids. Welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe. Sasquatch listens while raking the leaves. This is Through the Pines. On this episode, we will cover building generational wealth. What is generational wealth? What are some challenges to building generational wealth? And what are three ways to build that wealth? That lasts generations. Finally, how to build your generational wealth team. We'll cover these topics on this episode of Through the Pines. Our advisors for this episode, direct here from planwithbaxter.com, Baxter Smith and Associates, Forbes Best In-State Wealth Management Teams for Utah, Advisor Hub, fastest growing advisors to watch under $1 billion, and receivers of the Ameriprise Client Experience Award. We have Baxter Smith and Associates, Rex and Brandon. Thanks for joining us here in the trailer in Banyan One Studios. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having us. It's great yeah. being here. It's fun to be live in person. <laughs> it's good. It's fun to be in person. Yeah. All right. So what is generational wealth? I have I have a definition here, but do one of you want to try and define it before we I'll <laughs> I'll define it. <laughs> okay. I'll define it. So technically generational wealth is is anything that passes from one generation to the other. But I'm going to redefine that for our purposes. Okay. For our purposes, generational wealth is is assets that pass from one generation to the other that the family can essentially survive on, can live on. And so um, an example of that would be a, a large investment portfolio that's kicking out a lot of income or is large enough that you can peel off you know, 4% and that's sustaining the family. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be liquid. It could be real estate that's kicking off a lot of rental income. Mm -hmm. Like a, maybe a farm? It, so a farm, I think, is also generational wealth, right? Mm -hmm. Just land. It's just, it's convertible from an illiquid, non-income producing asset to a large enough income producing asset that could sustain the family, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe the farm is kicking off enough income from production of, of hay or production of livestock um, to support the family. So, mm -hmm. so I think any of those things could, could be considered generational wealth that's going to pass from one generation to the next and maybe to the next. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause it's hard to set it up for multi-generational, right? So generational is that we're just talking one generation. Well, multi, multi could be, you know, one generation or more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the most, most families that are trying to create generational wealth want it to last beyond just their kids, just mm -hmm. beyond one generation. They want it to, to help their grandkids, maybe their great grandkids. They want to create a true legacy um, through this wealth creation that they're working on. Okay. So this is not on the nuts, but just a personal question. How have you seen that in your um, daily business uh, that if you've been able to watch people generate generational wealth for their family? So I, I think I'd back up just a step on that. I think typically we see two different types of clients and they have different, very different mindsets. One is the 
I want to die broke clients, right? I, I <laughs> yeah, let's go. Right? <laughs> so I want to bounce my yeah. last check. I want yeah. to uh, bounce my last kind of check, thing, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I'm really yeah. taking it back to the 80s, right? When yeah. people actually wrote checks. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one group of clients, and then and then the vast majority of clients are of the stage of no, I you know I want to live responsibly, and I want to be a good steward of these, of these assets that I've accumulated throughout my life or that I've received from my parents. Um, and, and I want to be able to sustain those and pass those on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, and so we do see that quite often, whether it be with investment portfolios, whether it is with rental properties to where people own multiple rental properties or apartment complexes, or whether it's closely held businesses. You know, to where they've they've created a, a construction company, and and they want their kids to run it, and and they're getting their kids and their grandkids, and they're kind of moving them all up through the chain of of command. So from okay. from what I've noticed, there's really two things that need to be in place for true generational wealth. The first is you have to have the assets, right? Accumulating assets, and we'll kind of talk about you know how you build that. Um, but then the second thing is you have to have the the mindset and the training for not only yourself but your kids and then their kids. Um, go banking. Go banking rates um, came up with a study and and you see them all over the place, right? But their their ratios they said or their numbers they said that seventy percent of wealthy families lose their wealth by the next generation. Oh, literally one generation gone with 90% losing it in the generation after that. And so mm. you can see that generation wealth, although it's definitely a thing and, and can be really, really, really cool to watch, it, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Either mm-hmm. to build the wealth and then to get it to stay in place. So is that just a lack of, of education? You know, the first person who built it, who worked so hard to do that and then to just watch it, well, they probably died, but they watch it from above, you know, the generational wealth just be squandered apparently. Um, well, that's sad. But you can you can see it actually build on itself sometimes too, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see clients who, you know, they, they may have grown up or their grand father or their dads grew up with almost nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And but put everything into their kids and then all of a sudden their kids were able to go to college and they get a degree and they start you know, they build something even bigger. And then they and this has been probably what I've been most fascinated by is is watching different people take substantial amounts of money and and what they can try to do to help their kids. Mm-hmm. Right. What what what's the difference between just giving your kids too much and actually like seed money, right? Helping them jumpstart and, and launch into their own net worth building. And so right. I, I think, you know, I, I still don't know that I know the perfect, you know, the perfect solution to that. Um, but, it, but it's, it's interesting to watch different theologies and philosophies. And, and unfortunately I worry a lot of it is very, um, dependent on the child themselves, right? Some sure. kids can take it and run with it and get excited about it. Other kids would prefer not to, you know, yeah. and just spend it. And so, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, a really big nature versus nurture component to that, yeah. right? Yeah. To where some people just it's in it's in their natural component <clears throat> that they're just spenders, mm-hmm. right? And and it's hard to change that habit. It's hard to educate. Shout yourself. out to my wife. <laughs> Sponsored by. Sponsored by. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> no, we we love you. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's hard to to educate yourself out of that, right? It not that it can't be done, it can be done, but but I think it's extremely difficult. And so it's been interesting to watch certain parents um work with their kids on what they will financially support and what they won't mm-hmm. and the habits and how early they're trying to work on those habits to to try and train those kids. But it is interesting. I think having clearly defined um you know, parameters as to what you are willing to help your kids with, right? Yes, yes, education, no education. Yes, house, no house, right? But rather than just having a constant, because I I do watch some clients, right? And and their kids are just coming to their parents anytime they fall on hard times mm-hmm. and they come like, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened. I need X, you know? And, and it's just this constant draw on the parents' wealth and it's not really benefiting the kids. You know, it's helping them in the moment, but long-term they're not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, but if you can set parameters and say, Hey, you know, Hey kids, this is what I'm willing to help you with. If you're having a hard time, come to me. Right. And let's, let's work through it, but we're going to work through it rather than just bail you out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that can, that can really help, um, kids understand what the game is because we'll all play to the easiest degree. You know, <laughs> like if it's, if, if we know that there's a cheat card in there, who doesn't want to reach for it? Yeah. Um, but if you know that, holy cow, it's on me, right? This is really on Sure, I'm not going to be like homeless on the street, but I don't have any other options. It makes you more creative. Mm-hmm. It makes you think differently. You start looking at that fridge like, oh, do I start YouTubing how to fix it? Or do I just call mom and dad and say, hey, bad, bad luck. I need a new fridge. Can you help me out on this one? Well, and the first time mom and dad turns you down, that's not a... That's not easy either, you know, cause you're so used to that's your life and that's how you're, you've been living and then it's hard to stop that. And so I could see some, someone, uh, maybe being a, a pull against that generational wealth. Well, building it though, doesn't sound easy to me. So what are some of the challenges to building generational wealth? I think, I think building it has a lot of challenges, right? You've got your own lifestyle mm-hmm. and are you living within that? Are you saving an appropriate amount? Are you you know, not liquidating a business or, or giving up equity ownership or selling real estate property before you need to and finding other ways to, to actually amass, you know, that wealth. And then taxes, I think, are a big issue mm. both during your life and as it passes from one generation to the next to where the tax man comes and, and can take a, a big piece of that as well. And, and so I think there's a lot of different polls that prevents that. And then I think, you know, we happen to live in a state that has large families, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, and I'll, I'll pick on myself, right? I have umpteen million kids, <laughs> I have umpteen million kids but, but, you know, I, I have seven kids. And so as I, you know, I am trying to save and, and generate some wealth of my own, you know, when I pass, when my wife and I pass, that wealth gets split seven ways, mm-hmm. right? And so now all of a sudden it's one seventh of the wealth, mm for each of them. So that alone whittles that wealth down for that next generation. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's a lot of challenges along the, the way. for you. Yeah. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah. Everybody take pity on me. You know? <laughs> um, Brandon. Yeah. I, I think one of the next points on here is the, the differing levels of financial literacy. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is, and I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but that starts when they're young, you know, and I, I, we went to the fair the other day and, it's so easy to just want to, as a parent, hold the power and be like, I'll wait. And if it looks really cute and the kid really wants it, then I'll grant them their wishes and maybe not, or I'll barter for some, 
you know, chores at home. But, but, uh, this time we, we went and we said, all right, each of our kids get, and it wasn't trade. It was like seven bucks, right? Like each child gets $7 because our kids are young and you can use that whatever, right? You can take that home and save it. You can spend it on a treat. You can spend it on a ride or you can spend it on a, a little trinket toy or I'll pull up Amazon and we can order something off of Amazon, yeah. right? Like we yeah. can, we can do whatever. Not that that's a great exercise. Far. It was, it was funny. My, my middle child, Maylee, she, it, it was like, you could just see the wheels, like the, the wheels and the pain for me actually wasn't there, but my wife, my wife, Jess was just like, Oh, and she just like, she wants this so bad, but she wants this so bad. And I just, I was like, this is so good. This is maturing. Yeah, yeah. This is development, right? This is what we all have to work through. And yes, there's some pain to it, but weighing pros and cons and realizing we can't have it all, but we need to choose is so good. And so I think you do that as with younger kids, but then, you know, as, as we age, I mean, there's, there's constant, right. I'm always checking myself and that's kind of the benefit of having a financial advisor, right. I can run stuff by Rex, but like, Rex, am I being too crazy here? Or, or is this, is this a rational idea? Mm -hmm. And, and just checking yourself throughout your life and your financial maturing and, and development, um, I, I think never ends. Did you have a plan for, for your kids to take that seven dollars home and not spend it for two weeks and it turns into ten dollars or something <laughs> you know i've thought about it like the smith family market <laughs> you know, and and you can invest it yeah. i i have i have offered it to them like if you'll give this to me now and we set it here for this many months i'll yeah. you know change it and nobody's taking me up on okay. it yet right. maybe i need to sweeten the deal maybe all right <laughs> another note on here on um the challenges though substantial wage gaps Let's take that. So I, I think, I think there are <laughs> wage gaps, right? Both. I, th I think there's two issues with wage gaps and, and I'll let Brand jump in here in a second. But I think the first issue is the first generation that's trying to amass generational wealth, right? Is I think that's extremely difficult if you're in a lower income mm -hmm. bracket, right? Because you're, it's harder to save. It's harder to, to accumulate the wealth when you're in a lower bracket. And so finding ways to to fix the income side of the balance sheet or the cash flow statement is is critical if you're in that if you're in that lower income you know area and so just the accumulation is more difficult if you if you're in the higher bracket and you've accumulated really well and then it passes on to the next generation and the next generation is in that lower income bracket they're they're not used to having money and mm. so that wage gap presents problems to where they're used to spending everything they have. And so now all of a sudden they have a bunch and they haven't, they haven't had to go through the struggle of delayed gratification very much. They haven't had to, you know, they've gone without. So you've got this pent up demand and an appetite for stuff. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden they, they inherit this money. And this is why I truly believe that 70% of it is gone in that first generation. Mm -hmm is is they spend and spend and spend uh, to fill this. they didn't have any spending before so they just, right yeah. so they've they've got that that build up appetite mm -hmm. and next thing you know it's it's gone yeah one one of the biggest problems with building if you're really building wealth without fail you, you usually not without fail but usually you try and build your own lifestyle too right you want to enjoy it while you're alive you want to travel you want to enjoy you know some nicer things but how do you, and, and you should do that, right? That's, that's kind of part of the benefit, right? Of, of, of being financially responsible and, and successful. 
But then what happens with your kids? Well, your kids kind of enjoy that with you, right? Your kids go on the trips. Your kids enjoy the cars. Your kids enjoy all these other things. And and what happens when it's time for them to go on their own? Mm-hmm. What happens when they're like, holy cow, sitting at college, like that fridge isn't just stocked every night with like really nice food. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's whatever I bought at the mm-hmm. store. Which, and and so I, you know, and and how I don't know, I don't know how to fix that, but it's definitely a problem of generational wealth that you've got to solve. And and I don't know if that's setting the stage. Um, you know, I remember growing up, um, and I grew up in in a nice area. I, you know, we didn't, we weren't like massively affluent, but but in a nicer area. And and I remember hearing a lot of stories from people in the neighborhood about their poor college days and and you know all the struggles they had, and to the point that I almost looked forward to it. You know, and, and my wife was like, "What are you talking about?" But I was like, "Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll be, you know, just be." crazy poor and just living on love and, and making it work and, you know, saving for our future and, and looking that, I think that helped us, you know, in our poor college years get through it. Cause it almost feels like a milestone, a, a rite of passage. Um, yeah, you really do take a step back cause you got it. Not, you got it good living at mom and dad's house. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you got to eventually, well, that's why people don't want to leave sometimes. So <laughs> right. <it's> gonna, <laughs> but you got to take that step back before you can take, you know, the steps yeah. forward yeah. and, and you have to accept that. And, and if you can't, if you get into college, like, I just need, I just need a trip for my mental health. Like you can't afford that sometimes, yeah. right? You can't afford the Hawaiian vacation when you're in college, just because the, you know, if you're doing it yourself anyway. Yeah. And, and so how do you, you know, I think helping your kids and preparing and training your kids so that they're ready for that you know, some tight times financially is, is an important part. Otherwise, you know, you know, they, they either spend it and then the fridge breaks and they have to go to you or, you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's interesting just because I've seen some families that take a very hard stance that, you know, especially with education, I'm not Mm going to pay for your education. You need to, you know, get scholarships or pay for it or struggle for it or, and some the are the opposite. The only thing they're paying for is education. Right. And I, and I see some that are the opposite. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to save for you and I'm going to send you to an Ivy League school and I'm going to cover it and, and it's covered and let's get you the best education we can so that we get you into a high paying job and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and it's hard because that's where I think the nature kicks in because I've seen some on both avenues be extremely successful and accumulate you know significant wealth. And I've seen people on both avenues that have been significantly unsuccessful. And so you're saying it's not a predictor, is it? I, no, I, I think I think it can be a component, mm-hmm. but I think what happens leading up to that in forming those habits is just as big of a component, mm. um, such as when you take a seven-year-old to the fair and, and you put them <laughs> yeah. on a budget, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's, I think it's a, a big combination. And then part of it is just personality. Yeah. And, and you just can't predict that. So. Yeah. All right. Three ways to build and protect generational wealth. Don't wait to start investing, develop multiple streams of income and create a legacy strategy. Brandon, when should people start investing? As soon as possible. It's crazy. It to the point, and I get pretty comfortable with numbers and financial planning to the point. I always have to double check, like triple check my numbers when I'm working with someone that's young. I'm like, really? You only have to save, you know, oftentimes mm. it's like 5% with a 5% match. I'm like, and this gets you there? Like mm-hmm. this gets you to your goal? Um, it, you know, but if you're starting in your 20s, um, it, it is crazy how easy it becomes. And, and what that does is you, you can start out smalling, saving a smaller percentage 
And then you can continue that smaller percentage throughout the rest of your life. And, and you gradually percentage of your income, take percentage of your income. Yep. And you gradually grow into the wealth that you're building. And so I think, you know, it, it just, the, the financial habits, everything starting early is so important. Not that you can't start later in life. You can, um, it's just a lot harder and, and you don't build as much, but if you kind of catch that vision early and, and start early, it's amazing what that can build. So first check, put away 10%. At least. At least? Man, you're hardcore, Rex. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, would say, I would say it depends. And Rex is right. Like if you, It's amazing how often you can do it if you just tell yourself you need to do it. Um, it I know when I was a young financial advisor, not making a lot of money, saving up for a down payment on a house, um, we were offered a 401k plan. I was just like, oh, how can I go promote 401k plans. If I don't save into my 401k, mm -hmm. you know, I got to get the whole match. And so I did, we saved and, and I did it under the like, Hey, you know, if I have to end up pulling this out for, for a down payment, so be it. Right. I still got a match and yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I did it and it was cool. You know, I wasn't making very much, so I wasn't saving very much and the match wasn't even very much, but it built and built and built and built. And I think more so than that, it, the, the habit of it, right. I just don't notice. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was just going through my benefits just now. I'm like, oh, saving or putting this. But man, the 401k doesn't even face me. I mean, if you can structure it and Brandon says automatic, like your taxes, where it's going to come out no matter what. Right. If you can figure out how to just make it come out no matter what, and you just get to spend whatever is left. Yep. There you go. Well, I, I think automatic, making it automatic, right, is, is makes it simple. And so, but the reason I say at least 10%, right, is I feel like at least 10% towards your retirement, but then we still are going to want a house. So then we need to save a little bit more for that mm -hmm. down payment on the yeah. house. So now all of a sudden we're at 20%. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to need a car every 10 years or however often, right? And so now I need to be saving a little bit for a car every single month so I can update and re, you know, replace my vehicles. And, and so, you know, I, I think people need to, to look at that. And when, when you hear, hey, my financial advisor says I just need to save 10% or 5% or 8%, I mean, it's probably a different. Maybe that's just just for retirement or something. But then right. you're talking about all these other things that life throws at you. Right, life life happens yeah. and throws you curves. And and I think when you're younger, you know, the, like Brendan said, the younger you start, the better. But when you're young, that's the time to dream and the mm -hmm. time to take chances. And so, you know, if if your dream, you know, I I met today with a with a young man. He's 30 years old. And he's in the middle of building a great company, right? In two years, he's grown it from, you know, zero to, to roughly a million dollars in revenue. We're headed towards $2 million in revenue. And, and he's really on a fast track to growing something. And so we sat there and, we, and we, I just had him take a step back and kind of close his eyes and say, look. And I know this feels like Zen. So, so excuse me for a minute. Right. But, but he, you know, just, if you, if you could do anything you wanted, right. Picture yourself when you're 50 or 60 and, and what does life look like? Right. And how are you, what's important to you? How are you helping, you know, your family or your loved ones? How are you helping the community and the charities that, that are important to you? And how are you giving back and, and what do you want to leave for the kids? And so, you know, we just kind of sit there and think for a minute and, and it's like, yeah, 7% doesn't get you there, mm. right? And you have the ability right now because your habits aren't formed. You're coming into new, higher incomes. Your lifestyle hasn't adjusted yet. And so if that's what you want and you keep that picture, 
then this is how you get there. Mm-hmm. And and it's 99%. You know, yeah. Yeah, just do it all. <laughs> Live off of one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but speaking of the the dream, the explore, taking chances and stuff, um, that is part of, of building wealth, uh, de- developing multiple streams of income. What does that look like, Rex? Well, I think that comes back to our three pillars, right? Yeah. That, that we that we kind of promote and push a little bit of, of wealth. And so the three pillars of wealth for for those that that are catching us for the very first time, <laughs> welcome. By the way. <laughs> I'm sure that's none of you. All of you have listened to every episode. Every episode. Ever every had. Episode. And if not, say you didn't. Go back and do it. So the three pillars would be investment portfolio, financial assets, mm-hmm. right? Would be one pillar that you can grow. That's your 401k, your non-retirement investment accounts, different things like that. Your real estate holdings, so this would be non-house rentals, mm-hmm. right? Not your primary residence, but other rental properties, duplexes, you know, triplexes, whatever the case may be. Um, Vacation homes. Section 8, right? Whatever it yeah, is. Whatever. And so, um, and then you've got, you know, your own business and owning businesses. And so, you know, those are your three pillars. That's how wealth is created. It's typically, it comes back to one of those three, whether it's during your generation or a prior generation it probably came from one of those three areas. Mm. And so if you really want to generate wealth, then we want to focus, if we can, on all three. Um, if we can't, we start where we can, and then we expand into the other two. So, Okay. Uh, creating a legacy strategy. What do we mean by this, Brandon? Yeah, so um, there's a 2022 survey by Caring.com, and they found that only 33% of Americans um, have a living will or trust. Mm. I mean, that's crazy. And, and I, I got to throw out, this is a, a fortune. I pulled up a fortune article and they, they went, you know what? A few of these. I'm actually not, I'm surprised it's not lower. Oh, on that, on that, on the, uh, yeah. 33%. Yeah, 30, yeah. Me too. Actually, you know, for, uh, you, we talk to people all the time that don't. Um, but that's important, especially, mm-hmm. especially if, if there's any assets whatsoever, right? If we mm-hmm. want to avoid probate, um, and then specifically, if we want to pass the wealth on, mm-hmm. um, it, it's always surprising to me when you talk to people and, and multiple kids, like the kids will all have a different idea of how their parents' estate is going to be passed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of people say, oh, it's easy. You just split it equally between, you know, sell everything, split it equally. And some people do that and that works well, but that's not always the case, you know, and, and sometimes you got old prop- property that they, people want to stay in the family. You've got assets, you've got a lot of different things. And, and so making sure that you've got that estate plan in place helps you, um, helps you not fight about it, but also helps people plan for it because that that's man, when, when parents can involve their kids and everyone's got the financial maturity to do that and sit around and say, all right, this is what will happen. It, it just helps, helps everyone plan better, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to bank on their parents' inheritance. However, sometimes it makes sense to understand what your future financial situation is going to look like so we can plan today as efficiently as possible. Some of those situations are extremely complex, right? I mean, let's let's say Bigfoot, for example. Sure. Right? Bigfoot, let's, let's Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Yeah. Bigfoot has a bunch of storage units, right? He's got some yep. in southern Utah, some in northern Utah, some over in Colorado, things like this. And they're all generating great income streams. Let's say he has four kids, but one of them, uh, maybe special needs, mm. right? And and so so how do you take this income producing but illiquid asset and divide that equally amongst four, where one has some very specific you know 
restraints around receiving assets or it starts to impact some governmental benefits, mm. right? And and so that's where we get into legacy planning. That's where we get into more complex estate planning uh, strategies and techniques. And and obviously, you know, because we've pre-planned for this podcast, we have previous podcasts that talk about <laughs> legacy planning and, true. and estate true. planning. Yeah, so, um, but I, I think it does get very, very complex when you're trying to pass wealth from one generation to another because it it can get really complex, yeah. whether it's a, a closely held business, whether it's real estate, whether it's investment assets that are mixed with a lot in different kinds of retirement accounts that have different you know tax structures. Um, and, and so it really does help to go through with an advisor to help map that out. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about building your team too. Um, Brandon, do you have some more numbers. You bet. All right. You bet. This is a good one. Kind of, kind of appropriate, actually. So, uh, well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so Redfin and and Redfin is a website, right? They they kind of value homes and stuff like that. Anyway, they uh, they did a survey and and asked homeowners under the age of thirty that are looking to buy a home how many of them would need help. From family, right? There, there's actually homeowners under the age of 30, by the way. So, <laughs> well, so these like, are, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so these are basically under the age of 30, looking to buy a house, asking, do you need help with your down payment? Like, yeah. are you going to be able to do it yourself or do you need help? Guess what Guess what the percentage was? They said they'd need help with it from their family. H- high. I was surprised. It seemed high to me. 38%. Oh. Wow, that seems low to me. Is that yeah. low? Yeah, that it seems, seems really low, low to me. Really? I would have expected higher for a 30-year-old. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, it's I mean, thirty-eight percent, and and surveys are now that right? but, now. When was the survey done? Because the market's really rough right now. So if this was done 20, a, a oh. year ago, then that's rates you know, are lower. Yeah, you know, I don't, I can't see where they said okay when it was done. Okay, but because if you because right now it's really hard between but, now and twenty twenty two. Oh, so rates were still high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So it it's interesting, right? I'm I'm you know one of my one of my seven, one of my herd has, <laughs> has bought, you know, has bought. Do you know what things. I think of? Because it's, it's October when we're recording this and there's a cartoon. Is it Transylvania? Oh yeah. Transylvania. And then there's the one animal that has like a million kids. What is that? That weird animal with the, it's like a, oh man. I don't remember, but I can picture it. I can picture it on the big <laughs> they, screen. Yeah. They, is it Transylvania or is it the one, or is it Sing? Because Singh has it too. Singh's, Singh has it too, where there's like the kids everywhere. Anyway, I always think of Rex when I see that family on there. The kids are just running around like crazy. I'm like, that's probably him when he was younger, but they weren't old enough. <laughs> it's always older. fun at Rex's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kids running yeah. everywhere. Always <laughs> but it's in high energy. It's got to be fun, right? Always an adventure. Yeah. So so our middle our middle child um, purchased his first home when he was 20, right? He oh, that's that amazing. Out. Yeah. And, and so- you know, there are ways to do it. Um, we did not help him out. And so, you know, it's, there's certain things that we'll help our kids out with and a lot, a long list that we don't help them out with. Mm. Um, and so we'll see how that turns out, but uh-huh. hopefully good. I'm looking this up. I got to figure this out. Hotel Transylvania. That's Hotel Transylvania. And, um, Anyway, we'll figure wow, that out. Wow, we are so. on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'll, get, I'll get there before the podcast is over. Bigfoot and Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, well, we got to keep it interesting around here. So. Um, okay, building your financial team. The most important thing to do when building generational wealth is surround yourself with a team. 
help you accomplish your goals and objectives. Um, your team should include not only your estate planning attorney, but your tax advisor, financial advisor. Ta yeah, uh, as, yeah. So financial accountant, attorney, tax expert, estate planning attorney. How do all of these people work together? Are are so, are there brokers out there who say I can do it all for you? Like, how does this work? How do you build your team? So it's so it's interesting. So I I'm a core believer that that you have a core executive team, right? Your core executive mm -hmm. team should make up a financial advisor, your estate planning attorney, and an accountant. Okay, right. And and I'm also a core believer that each of them should stay in their own lane, right? Mm. That you don't have the estate planning attorney trying to do the the tax work, and you don't have the you know accountant trying to do the investment work, and the investment guy is not trying to do the estate planning work. We should all know enough about each other's work to help educate, guide, help our clients ask the right questions of each other, catch red flags, catch red flags mm. if there's red flags in the other lane, right? Um, but I think that's your core group. And, and so sometimes you'll have ancillary business coach or, or, you know, different things like that, that, that may filter into it, but that's your core group. Um, I, I know that there are some advisory groups and some accounting groups and things like that to where there's, there's overlap to where they try and bring it all in house. And, and I think that can work. Um, although I will say that more times than not, my opinion is that it doesn't work because mm. they're at that point, they're almost too close to catch each other's red flags. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I do like having, you know, different professionals from different areas. I saw a sign on a building in town and it said something like, um, finance, insurance, and estate planning or something. And I'm like, pick, pick a lane. Like, what are you really, you can do all of that. That's right. impressive. You know? Yeah. 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 I saw one that did finance, insurance, estate planning, um, read audio books. Oh, and so okay. He was like, yeah. Read your yeah. book for you. Narrate okay. your book for you. Okay. And well, there was one other thing that, oh, in real estate. He, he sold real estate okay. as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's a lot of things. That's a lot of so, hats. That's yeah, a, lot, that's of a hats. lot of hats. Brandon? Yeah. You know, working together though, because we do this a lot with our clients where we will meet, have meetings with their estate planner. We'll have meetings with their accountant. And and it doesn't even need to be a full meeting, but a phone call, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, I have one this week where where we're doing some some tax strategy and and it's important on the investment side. But we also want to make sure that we're not catching an accountant off, off guard and making sure that the accountant has any input. And so, like Rick said, yeah, you work together with the, that team of professionals and it just, it's, it's such a good cord. Because, man, sometimes accountants, they get so focused on saving taxes this year that they don't realize, holy cow, we've got a diversification mm. issue that we're worried about. And, and, and so we need to make sure when we meet with all of us, right, the client, the accountant, estate planning attorney, we can all, and the financial advisor, we can all get together and see the big picture and see the big concerns and work together, you know, in unity to resolve those. It just works so much better. My, I'm impressed. My CPA knows a lot about financial and that's a good thing, you know, and he'll throw out a little, in fact, he printed, it was, uh, he, he printed, uh, for, for my, the one who's working, uh, old enough to work. Like, he's like, Oh, is she investing? Well, let me print you something. If she saves this much a year, what it'll turn out to be. And, and, he, and it's the power of printing it on a piece, piece of paper and looking at that number over time, you know, at a certain percentage of interest. I'm like, and it's just a guess. You're just throwing it out there, but it's a possibility. You're seeing the rate of return over time. And it was, it was 
it was cool. I'm yeah. glad I did something like that. And, so. and it's good to have a, a base knowledge of that. It's also a huge red flag if your accountant's telling you how to invest. Yeah. Right. Because account the accounting world is complex and, and there's a lot of change and a lot of updates. And if they're not fully invested in, in being the best accountant, because I guarantee you they don't have enough time to be the um, an amazing accountant and an amazing financial advisor. Yep. The world of advising is too big to be an amazing accountant and a, an amazing advisor. You're going to be dropping something somewhere. I and, heard a acronym for FOCUS the other day. Mm-hmm. It's uh, follow one course until successful. Hmm. That's wow, that's nice. a good acronym. I like that. Yeah. Follow one course until, until successful. successful. Yeah. Okay. Which it's kind of like tunnel vision. Yeah. Well, yeah. And cause I, I'm guilty of, I'm, I have a creative mind. I've got all these things I want to do. I'm, I have a really hard time. And, and then over many years I've podcasted and held a job. And so you're, you know, it's, and I could see when I heard that acronym, I'm like, huh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, 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 it's hard to do two things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do a whole bunch of things at once. Okay. So yeah, build your financial team, financial advisor, accountant, attorney. Hey, you know what? We have some, uh, financial, the beginnings of your financial team right here, planwithbaxter.com. Visit planwithbaxter.com. Uh, Brandon and Rex here uh, can can get you started, and then you guys have uh, you know p- people who you know, right? Like that you could recommend. That, we know I guess. people. You know people. You know, we people. know people. We got people. <laughs> you got people. Okay. Finally, and this is one I added to the notes just because I want your opinion on this. Okay. Uh, explore big dreams, and so the question would be: What could you do if you could not fail? Do you start a business, change careers? Do you start a nonprofit? And then Rex, you have to explain to me how uh, starting a nonprofit would make you rich because. I'm, I'm not well, sure I, how that I, I don't works, know that but, starting mm. a nonprofit makes you rich yeah. necessarily, but I do think it fulfills your dreams, mm. right? As I think that sometimes we don't do things for a dollar. Sometimes we do things because we're passionate about it. Sometimes it's it's kind of our compass that's saying, you know, for, for instance, for my wife and I, we're very, very passionate about changing the trajectory on kids' lives, mm. right? And so if we find a child that's that's having a difficult time, um, maybe they're battling addiction or, or problems at home or whatever the case may be, and, and they've gotten themselves on a difficult track, you know, then then we love being able to to kind of be mentors and try and, and change that course. And and that's something we're very, very passionate about, right? We're passionate about that, you know, children are not homeless um, and are not going without the basic necessities. And so I th- I think I think charities and nonprofits you certainly can can fill a significant need. Now, I also think that a lot of times when you're involved in nonprofits and, and philanthropic work, that there's some amazing networking opportunities that you can do to other people that are like-minded. And lots of times that networking opportunity to rub shoulders with successful people can can spring opportunities that you've never even imagined or never thought of that your life might take. And it may open up doors that would never be able to open up to you otherwise. And so I think that there are channels if you if you know how to kind of navigate that a little bit to where it can provide opportunities for you that you may never see. Brandon? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one, speaking of being right, too, too afraid to act, right? And yeah. I think that's common for people. I think if you can work out a good plan B, and and a lot of times that's that's a re- retirement savings plan. People get so wrapped up in dropping every last dollar into this new business startup, mm. knowing that you know it might not have the best probability of success. 
um, but they want to go for it. They want to shoot for it. If you can just live on just a little bit less, siphon a little bit of that extra in, or a little bit of that income away into a savings plan, that way you can shoot for it. And you know what? If it fails, so be it. We move on to another job. We find another job. We keep going on the retirement. We've got a, a, a decent, good retirement for us. Um, but I think it, the, the nerves that it creates to just throw everything into one dream that may or may not happen can be a little bit scary and might be, you know, prohibitive, you know, in our ability to wake up every morning and really shoot for it. And so, you know, I think savings not only is good for building wealth and and it can really do that, but sometimes it's almost the insurance policy. You know, it's the, Hey, if all this falls apart, at least retirement works. Sure. And it works because we made it automatic that it's happening. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I see what you did there. Because we were focused. Yes, yes, so, yes. There you go. Yes, very good. Okay, thanks so much, Brandon and Rex, planwithbaxter.com. And I think I changed the notes here to say um, Baxter, Smith, and Associates. So just so. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. <laughs>